1: Hi everyone, welcome to the body serve number eighty-two. I'm James. I'm Jonathan, and uh, we are in the midst of the French Open. A French Open that you haven't been able to watch much of at all. No, it's so sad. I'm. It's really like my first major as a real nine-to-fiver. So because of the timing on the East Coast, I really missed almost everything.
0: And then the one day you had off yesterday, Saturday. By oh the time God. you got up, which you thought was a, a reasonably early mm-hmm. time. Uh, the play was rained out for the rest of the day.
1: Like, I'm not going to wake up at 5 on a Saturday to start watching tennis. By the time I woke up, Murray Del Potro was in the final set, and then Morinka and Fognini played just a boring first set, and it was over.
0: How have you been enjoying the tennis? I've seen quite a bit more than you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been good. It's been a, a fairly boring French Open by way of upsets. The few upsets that we had were upsets that were pretty much earmarked by everybody as matches to watch in the first round. Yeah. And unlike a lot of the slams that we've had in recent memory, most of the the marquee names or the players to watch, they've made their way through the draws.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's a pretty remarkable stat that, well, first of all, from the quarters on, we're guaranteed a first-time Grand Slam winner on the women's side. Um, and this is the first time that it's happened in the quarter since 1979. But if you think about it, the, the players that we expected to go through pretty much have Svitolina and Halep are still there, Mladenovic. So these are non-major winners, but they are kind of expected.
0: Where do you want to start
1: with the upsets? Uh, sure. So Kerber is kind of the one that everyone called, right? It, it's almost seems like an exaggeration to call it an upset. She was the number one seed. But she lost to Makarova, who is extremely dangerous at majors.
0: This one was not so surprising. At the end of last year, I did a, my own Grand Slam rankings on the women's side. And it, it allotted points based on results. First round to, to winning the title, right? Mm. You got a point for a first round, two for second, three, etc. Then you got bonus points for making a quarterfinal two bonus points for a semifinal, and so forth, right? To a max of five for winning the whole thing. And over the previous two years, the full span of 2015-2016, Makarva was a top 10 Grand Slam player Mm -hmm. based on those rankings. So to your point, she is somebody who was a very unfortunate first-round draw for Kerber, especially given her struggles this year.
1: Right. I mean, she could not have asked for a worse non-seed. To face in the first round, really. And then the other not surprising upset was Konta losing in the first round, still leaving Paris, having never won a match at Roland Garros in the main draw, which for a player of her stature is totally shocking at this point. She's been playing the French now for a few years.
0: It's not, n- it's not that shocking. I think it is. I still think it's overstated. <laughs> I thought she would have won a couple matches, given that she had made a few round of 16s in the clay court season. Mm. And maybe this was the year that she was going to do it. It just didn't work out. <laughs> uh, clay courts are not her bag. She's a predominantly hard court player.
1: Right, but at at this time in women's tennis, like, you don't really have the luxury of not being a clay court player at all. So you are, you su- I mean? are you surprised like just, or are you not surprised? Well, no, I'm not surprised, but I'm saying just, like, get it together. You you don't have to win the French Open, but you
0: should at least be functional on the surface. Your boo, Alexander Zverev. My boo? Yeah, who you were like, oh my god, last episode, I recall. You were like, I would like to point out that I said that Sasha Zverev was going to have a great clay court season. Yes. And lo and behold, look, he won Rome. And look, he beat Djokovic. I'm just feeling myself right now. And
1: one of my few terrible predictions on last episode was that Zverev was going to
0: walk his way to the semifinals. You said he was going to have a tough first round against Verdasco, which he did, but that he would eventually make it to the semis. Right. Lo and behold, Mr. Fernando, he is still alive after scoring that upset. It wasn't a one-and-done kind of thing for him.
1: I think that might be even more surprising than the upset, is that Verdasco
0: is still here. We've talked about it on the podcast this year, that at the start of the year, Fernando said he was committed to having a good season. Mm. And he's had good results, and he's he's back in the top 30 now, and he's still going. Who else was an upset?
1: Well, I hesitate to mention Goffin, because it was such an unfortunate incident that caused him to lose. That is really rude,
0: for you to well, have him as an upset.
1: Uh, no, but... <laughs> But that's not what I mean. But the thing is, he was one of the leading players of the clay court swing, and he was out a lot earlier than people expected. And this injury, this freak injury, was just really, really bad. It was ugly to watch, but you also just felt terrible
0: for this guy because he's been playing so well. And I was really looking forward to another Goffin team matchup, which would have happened in the fourth round, as it turned out. Yeah. Dominic made minced meat of Zabaios, Right. But can we talk about the tarp thing? Sure. So, Gauffin tripped over
1: the tarp that was sort of bunched up at the back of the court, and I want to know, why was it there? At the French Open, you can utilize... It's a huge court. You utilize the entire thing because of the nature of clay court tennis. And why is it there as a hazard for the players to trip over? I don't have an answer for you. I mean, is David going to sue? I... (laughs) I mean, Tatiana Maria was going to sue Cornet last year for much less. (laughs) Listen, like, I work in human resources, so this, to me, is, like, sticks out as dangerous working conditions.
0: So has Jeannie consulted you?
1: She should, probably, but no, she Mm. hasn't. But I'm just going to say, like, this is... Something where I feel that the employer or the tournament has been negligent, will cost him ranking points, and will cost him money. Who's going to pay for it?
0: Nobody, because this is precarious work. Yeah, we think of it as, oh, what a lost opportunity to maybe go a few rounds further. Mm -hmm. But it really is a lot of prize money as well. It is. And a
1: player's career is finite. And an injury like that can be really scary, because depending on the nature of the injury, I know that he didn't tear anything, thank God, but... It can be a long recovery.
0: How many dinners with Luca Pui and Herbert will he no longer be able to afford? (laughs) Oh, no. Let's go back a bit to Kerber, because one of the more interesting bits from the first week is how fierce Andrea Petkovic was in her defense of Kerber and some of the stuff that's been written about her as a fledgling number one. And also since Kerber lost early again, this time in the first round. Hmm. She was saying, you know, people are really being mean-spirited and unfair. That yes, the score, I believe it was 6-2, 6-2 was very lopsided and you'd think like, wow, she got blown out by Makarva. But that anybody who is watching these matches or watching her play these matches can see that she's, she's not playing poorly per se. She's just not winning the points that she would have been winning last year. And she's clearly struggling for confidence.
1: Yeah, there's such, I mean, there's such a fine line in women's tennis these days. There's so much depth that you can be playing at, say, 80% of your ability, and it's just not enough. Like, there's not that big of a gulf between the top players and, you know, say the 20 to 50 ranked players. If she doesn't have that extra bit of confidence to push her into kind of the upper realm of what she's capable of, like, it... It looks like a big gap.
0: Miss Petkovic was not having it at all. No. Mm-mm. You have listed here that the number one doubles team of Continent and John Piers they lost in the first round to Marrero and Robredo. They did. The Spanish team.
1: And Robredo is still out there after all these years. I love him. I always try to watch him when he's on. And uh, another thing is that Ceballos, who beat Goffin because of the retirement, And who lost a team today in the fourth round. He's actually still alive in men's doubles. He's in the quarters with his partner Peralta. And uh, yeah, he, I mean, he had a very successful
0: tournament by any standard. Sanya Mirza also went out early in doubles. Yes. No longer partnered with Stricevo.
1: She was
0: with Shvedova this time. It's like the second or third event that they've played together.
1: And they went out to Gav and Pav, right? Gavrilova and Pavlichenkova. (laughs) And the other thing, my other terrible prediction, is uh, Pravdženkova, I picked her to possibly go to the semis in her quarter, and she unfortunately had to retire in the second round. So I'm just like striking
0: out everywhere. Surprises, in terms of players who are still alive, that we just did not see this coming. Journeywoman Caroline wasn't <laughs> Well, Max did say this was her
1: best chance of winning a major, and... Maybe he was right <laughs> after we said
0: he was so dumb. <laughs> she has not had a difficult road by any stretch. She started with fourless in the first round, which went three sets somehow. Then she completely destroyed Francoise Abanda in the second round. Hmm. That was not pretty at all for the young Canadian. Still a nice cute second round result. She'll take those points on money, I'm sure. Right. And then we had somewhat of a drama filled match with cc Bellis, where Caroline won the first set. And then being down a break in the second set, it being very dark, Caroline was like, I'm not playing anymore. I oh, want right. to stop this match. And everybody, she was like, Can I talk to that person? Can I talk to that person? <laughs> where is, where is the tournament director? Can Where's I, the referee? Can I talk to Macron? Can Where's I, Macron? Can I
1: talk to Ilya Nastasi, please? <laughs> Where's Macron? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, she was pretty prickly after losing a set to Bellis,
0: and well, no, that was before she lost a set to Bellis. Oh, right. Because then she ended up having the match suspended down two five overnight, lost the second set, and then came back the next mm. day to, I believe, win six three in the third.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the umpire was like, "Caroline, come on, it's only eight forty five.
0: It's not it, that dark. It's Caroline. not that
1: dark." And she's like, "I can't see anything. <laughs>
0: I mean." <laughs> She put on quite the performance. So there was she got through that. And then it was like, okay, well, she gets Sveta. And two things at play here. This is exactly the type of match that Sveta would lose. <laughs> where there are so many wide open spaces ahead of her to maybe win the whole damn thing. Mm, right? Yeah. And also, Sveta herself spent way too much time on court leading into this match.
1: She did. And she talked about, you know, now that she's older, she's learned to accept kind of her personality and her style on court that she realizes how much versatility she has as a player. And she knows that it will always be challenging for her to put it together.
0: She's written about and talked about as this great artist, this tennis artist, Mm. with so many options, so many weapons that sometimes it's so difficult for her to figure out what she should be doing. Like when you have so many options... How do you figure out the right one or limit yourself to a, a specific strategy that will help you mm-hmm. focus toward winning matches,
1: right? And I see this as uh, as like a Dimitrov problem, a Gasquet problem. Less so Dimitrov. Okay. <laughs> well, I didn't say it was the same. I mean, Sveta is a two-time major winner and
0: is capable of many no, I, more. I think she has more options at her disposal than those two combined. Okay. But, I, I mean, you're... Th- 31, 32 years old at this point, you're resurgent, you're back in the top ten. Like I, I see that as a cup-out in a sense mm. at this point. Okay. Sorry. That's a little rough.
1: I mean, we talked about last night before. Be-
0: sorry, because it's also framed as something to be celebrated and as an excuse almost. When when it's all said and done, you're gonna have somebody who had a very good career that could have been great. Mm. I don't know. But it's not for lack of caring. No, absolutely not. not.
1: Right. And I know you're not saying that, but it's not like her countryman Safin, who is somebody who has an immense talent and is seen as underachieving. I think
0: think she really, really cares. I think it's more to do with the way it's talked about and written about, Mm. as opposed to what she says and, you know, her in general. Right. Like the marveling at it as her being this kind of eccentric wizard floating around on <laughs> the WTA tour and it's like well let's not give her that easy way out to like oh. deal with her quote-unquote shortcomings in a sense mm. like yes we can marvel at those things that's why we love her but I don't know I would say
1: last night we were talking about that matchup and I was saying this is a match that I know will go long but Kuznetsova has all the tools to beat her relatively quickly. (laughs) She has the
0: tools to beat anybody. Right.
1: And so I still have to say I'm very surprised at the result.
0: Yeah, I agree. Surprising in a good way, Kevin Anderson, former top 10 player, struggled with injury, fell all the way down to almost out of the top 100, I believe. Mm -hmm. Making his way back is in the 50s or thereabouts right now. He's into the fourth round on his... Least accomplished service, right? Great for him. He
1: beat Kyrios. He was able to take advantage of Songa being out of his section, and he will face Chilich in the fourth round. And to my mind, that is a winnable match. That it's not easy, but I think they might be evenly matched at this point on clay.
0: I still think Chilich should win that. Mm. You know, his results at Roland Garros have not been good, and he's. Kind of Stan Varinka light. Stan very light. (laughs) Like Splenda Stan. uh, uh, He's. What do you call it? Stevia. (laughs) (laughs) He has the tools. You mean
1: ever since he stopped taking glucose?
0: Oh my god. (laughs)
1: He's.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna let you sit over there with that. that. (laughs) He has the tools to beat most players. He's a Grand Slam champion. And he's had a decent clay court season so far. So in, on, on the face of it, this was not that surprising for him to get here, but it's still a very good result for him. Mm-hmm. And a and big opportunity for either Anderson or Chilich to make it to the semifinals because the winner of that match gets the winner of Wawrinka-Mofis in the quarters. Right.
1: Which could take six hours, could take 35 minutes. Hmm? You really
0: never know. We talked about Verdasco being a surprise already, so we can move on from Mm -hmm. him. Those were the three players, as far as surprises, that we kind of pinpointed. Wozniacki, Kevin Anderson, and Fernando Verdasco. Let's do a little bit of digging with the draws and talk about the men and the women that are left and what's happened so far. Sure. So it's a little tough for us to keep up because tennis
1: happens so fast, there's a we have to edit and all that stuff, so it's, you know, our episode is going to come out a day after we record, basically.
0: And so, if we were to tell you, well, is Carlos Suarez Navarro going to beat Holop? that would have already happened yeah. by the time you listened to so
1: this. So, we're not going to speculate on that. I would say, well, the top half didn't really go as planned. This the is the f- women's draw. Uh, yes. In the women's draw, the first section is where I picked Stoza to go through. The top seed in that section, Kerber, lost in the first round. There were all these holes, right? Ostapenko was able to beat Stozer. Uh, Stozer injured her hand, her I wrist. think. Her, oh, God. Really? Her wrist in that match, lost in three sets. Ostapenko through to a quarterfinal. She was the finalist in
0: Charleston, Boston.
1: right? Losing to Kazatkina.
0: Mm-hmm. Halop took care of her.
1: Right. So we have Ostapenko-Wazniacki quarterfinal. We
0: have mladenovic Baczynski. Mladenovic is not a surprise. You say that it was kind of turned on its head, that top half. But if you look at... For me, if I look at those final four in the quarterfinals, you can make a case for all of them being reasonable choices at the start of the tournament. Mm. Ostapenko, as you said, making the final in Charleston. Well, that's a lie. Wozniakki, there's no defending that. (laughs) Uh, Mladenovic a top 3 on the year one of the outstanding players of 2017 has had a good hard court season a good clay court season <laughs> i mean she's just mm. been balling and rising to the challenge when necessary she beat Sharapova in Stuttgart, Stuttgart yeah in that big clapback match after she ran her mouth you know <laughs> so when it's it's come to putting her Money where her mouth is. Kiki has not shied away from any stage to date in 2017. Mm-hmm. That said, at some point she's going to have to play on Châtrier because she's made requests to play on Long Long the entire tournament because she prefers playing there. Yeah. And you were saying that you'd heard that the ball maybe plays a little bit faster on Long Long. Right. And that's a favor that the French Federation has acceded to her. Mm hmm. But it's it's not tenable getting to the back end of a Grand Slam. You're going to have to play on the show court. The oh, big yeah. show court.
1: I think the quickness would have helped Mugruth as well, who's a Wimbledon runner-up. Um, I think Mugruth maybe likes the intimacy of Longlan as well.
0: She's able to feed off the crowd maybe a little bit right. more. But Chinsky, this is the third straight year that she's made the quarterfinals at Roland Garros. And while she's done damn near nothing in the last year...
1: Yeah, which you can this see is, by her number 30. This is seat. her
0: stomping ground at this point. If there's a slam for her to do well, this is where it is. She made the semis in 2015, losing a three-set match to Serena. That year of three-set matches for Serena. Right. And last year, she played Venus in the fourth round and beat her, handily. And this year in the fourth round, she got Venus again.
1: Yes, yes. Venus put in so much energy to take back that first set. It just felt like she didn't really have a lot left in the tank, and it was really unfortunate. She, I mean, she played so well in the first three rounds. There were parts of this fourth round match where you were like, God, like, what can't Venus do? But I think maybe next year, Venus will beat Baczynski in the fourth round in straight sets. It's like she's getting better and better, you know? (laughs)
0: I'm less optimistic. Okay. <laughs> only because Baczynski is just a difficult matchup for Venus. And Lindsay Davenport put her finger on it really well during that broadcast in the first set. Very early on, she talked about how Tamea gives her so many different looks, mm-hmm. be it a higher trajectory and more spin off the forehand, where Venus has to make contact at a higher trajectory. Whereas on the backhand, we all know that Tamir's backhand is a far superior wing for her. She hits a lot closer to the net, which is, in a way, more in Venus's range. Mm-hmm. But if you're not getting that from both wings, she's unable to de- to carry rhythm throughout the match. And that's what really happened, yeah. in effect. It's a, like it a constant adjustment. Yeah, because we've, Venus has been tired before. This match wasn't terribly long. It was just over two hours she hadn't played that much on court leading up to this match, but you've got the forehand giving you a different look, the backhand giving you a different look, being able to, to change direction on the ball wherever she wants, push Venus back with more offense, bring her forward with incredible touch and drop shots. You know, it was just a bit too much for Venus mm. when Tamea is unsung on, on clay. There, there's just so many levels of stuff for Venus to overcome against Tamir. That it's, right. she's just not a good opponent for her. Like if, if Venus had played Muguruza in the fourth round, like she played her in Rome in that quarterfinal, mm-hmm. that's a match that Venus can win more easily than Tamir. You think so? Yes, because Garbinia hits into her zone a lot. Yes, she'll maybe outhit her in spots, but it's like watching Venus play Petra at Wimbledon. A few years ago. Right. Where they're both hitting the cover off the ball. And even if they're both playing at high levels, the points go quickly. Venus is able to get that rhythm, keep that rhythm. She's not able to do that against somebody like Tamiya. Mm. That said, Venus Williams is the only WTA player in the last five Grand Slams to make the fourth round of all five. Which is a pretty damn amazing right. achievement. Right,
1: For, I mean she suffered through those years of making second rounds, third rounds, getting used to how to manage it, how to manage her health, her diet and like she is here week in week out posting consistent
0: results at the biggest tournaments. She beat Wang Kyung in the first round in a tougher than she would have liked match still straight sets, then she beat Kruminara 6-3 6-1, repeated that score in a much more impressive performance against Elise Martins, who is somebody who is dangerous, who's played well in extended spurts of 2017, a young player with a lot of potential, and who can really hit hit the ball. And I was like, wow, that was that was something to watch that that mm-hmm. third round match.
1: So I think the top half is a surprise because you see these big names who are no longer there. The players who remain are not scrubs. <laughs> And like you said, it's not shocking based on their performances so far this year, or their pedigree on clay. But, I mean, the defending champ is out. Former champ Kuznetsov is out. Stozer, Kerber.
0: Former champ Muguruza, defending champ Muguruza.
1: Right. So, uh, you move to the women's bottom half. And, I mean, this looks even more surprising. But, again, our favorites are still there. Svitolina will play more. Not of, our favorites, well, but maybe the favorites. The, some of the shortlisted favorites. Yes. Svitolina, Halep is around, Pliskova's there. Uh, I mean, if you look at Pliskova's section, it's Garcia, Cornet, Sepede, Roig, and Carolina. I mean, that is like, is she ever going to get a more open invitation to the semis?
0: A couple of matches I want to draw your, you, the listeners, attention to earlier in the tournament from this bottom half, because I saw so many people, and I don't want to be the person who is laughing at a player losing, but it's more to do with the ridiculous hype surrounding Vondrusova. Okay. Or Vondrusova. Because so many people were like, oh yeah, the the French Open is so wide open, she's going to make the semifinals. Watch her come through that half. Like, I saw it all over the place. And look, she didn't get past Kazatkina. Mm. Which is where you should expect her to lose, really, in in truth. Right. Uh, Another thing... Bouchard, somebody who, I suppose, you could make the argument if she weren't injured or didn't suffer an injury coming into the tournament, that she could have been somebody as a lower-ranked player to make it through that section. Mm. But I mean, and that maybe that's that's us getting that kind of hype being in Canada, <laughs> right? Maybe there's that, right? But getting past Sevastova was probably never going to happen no. either.
1: No, and an interesting stat. I don't know if you know this. But Carlos Suarez Navarro has never lost to Simona Halep on clay. They've played, I think, either five or six times, and it's been through the years. The results weren't all from like seven years ago. It's been successive victories. So that is a very interesting matchup. I think Simona is coming into the round of 16 poised to win this tournament. I don't think she's ever been... Well, clearly,
0: what do you mean by poised?
1: Well, she's never been a bigger favorite at a Grand Slam. Obviously, she's a runner-up here from 2014. All of the big names, I mean, the former Grand Slam winners, are gone. If like if Simona's going to win a major, it's this one, right? She even came in with an injury and supposedly messed up her ankle, but it doesn't really look to be showing. She played well against Kazakhina. Suarez Navarro has beaten her on clay every time they've played, but those are matches you're going to have to get through if you're going to win a major.
0: Before I get to that, and I guess literally before we get to that, she has to get past Suarez Navarro, who suffered from injury a great portion of the last year. But she's somebody who routinely, we talked about Venus being the only player in the last five slams to make at least a fourth round. She's somebody who routinely makes the third, fourth round. Mm -hmm. Of slams, like like it's nobody's business. Right. Right? And she's also made the quarterfinals a handful of times. Yeah. All over the place. and uh, Right, not just on clay. So she's not somebody to look past. And given that that history that the two have, that's a tough out. And then, should Halep make the quarterfinals, she's likely playing the co-favorite for the tournament in the quarterfinals. I would say these are probably the two best bets to win the tournament. Svitolina and Holop, To my mind.
1: I don't well, know. What, I don't
0: know what the betters are saying.
1: I would agree, although we'll talk about this a, a bit later, but Mladenovich like
0: refuses to lose. She does, but she also has so much tennis on her legs this year. Right. Playing and still playing doubles. This is a level and a volume of tennis that she's not accustomed to. True. And there's only so far, possibly, that adrenaline and being boosted by the home crowd can take you mm. if the home crowd is to take you anywhere it would be at the french open right because right. they are doing the most well all the time <laughs> right so the, the 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 narrative and the fairytale story for her to win in spite of it's there but i find it hard to think that she's gonna win three more matches against increasingly difficult opponents okay given that she spent so much time on court in Paris alone, not mm-hmm. even factoring in the rest of the year. In the first round, she played Jennifer Brady, went into extra time in that match, in the third set. She beat Irani in straight sets, fine. But then Shelby Rogers, she's again going into extra time in three sets. And then today again against Muguruza, she plays three sets. And then she's going to get Bachinski now, who is just feeling herself yeah, and able to give her so many more looks and variations than Muguruza could even dream mm-hmm. of.
1: She moves better than Muguruza as well. She's not going to be fooled by... No. I mean, and Kiki she, has wicked, wicked side spin drop shots, but Bachinski will be ready.
0: She will also not allow her to get away with 16 plus double faults <laughs> <laughs> Like Muguruza did. Right. Like is just not going to start spraying balls all over the court and giving away free points.
1: Mm. So back to the bottom half, though. Who do you think... So Garcia and Cornet are going to be playing. This will be moot probably by the time the episode comes out, but who is the crowd behind? Do you, I, don't, I, should, I don't feel that the French public probably pays that much attention to the sort of inner politics of French Fed Cup and, and all those mean girl things going on.
0: They'll be behind whoever is behind. Okay. Until yeah. the last few points of the match, I think. You'd assume that Cornet is the more known player in France. That mm-hmm. said, you know, Garcia and Modenovich have gotten a lot of attention from their doubles play together. Yes. So these are two known players in France. And not that the French fans necessarily deserve a whole lot after <laughs> how they've been <laughs> treating people. But, you mean these past hundred years? <laughs> but let them have it, that Garcia-Cornet match. Of course, I, I'm still alive with my dark horse because I picked Garcia. To get through to possibly true, the semifinals. True. I think you should... If I had to pick it, probably Svitolina Halep. And then I would go with Garcia and Pliskova. And that's as far All as right. I'm willing to go. All
1: right. I think that from the bottom half, Svitolina is in the final against Mladenovic. You think so? Yeah. And Svitolina won.
0: wins. You th- you, so you're picking Svitolina to win the yes. tournament over Mladenovic? Yes. And for me, I'm picking... I think that this tournament is just prime for a total wacko final where (sighs) (laughs) nothing that you would expect to happen happens because it's we've talked about before it started it's wide open it's even more wide open now with a few more players out this is a type of tournament where and I'm gonna call I'm gonna say this that I'm gonna have Fine, I'm going to give it to Halp, but I'm going to have her beating Ostapenko in the final.
1: <laughs> okay, let me tell you, if it is an ostapenko Cornet final, you can keep it. Like, you can keep tennis. And honestly, you can probably find another host. Because <laughs> I'm not here for that.
0: Well, I, to- I think I told you earlier this week, if we get a a Rafa Nole semifinal as it looks like it's going to happen, and Nole wins that match, you're going to have to find a new co-host because I may just Retire from tennis. (laughs) I may go become a janitor somewhere. A janitor? Yeah.
1: There's no shame in that. It's honest work. (laughs) Shall we talk about the men's draw? We've been uh, letting the women dominate lately, which is how we like
0: it. Yes, and also there are (laughs) many other podcasts out there who are more... ATP-centric, so I don't feel bad about that one bit. <laughs> okay. So, and in truth, what is there to say about the men's side? Like, we're still on course for a Rafa Nole semifinal. Yeah, I R- mean... Ramos the- Vignolas threatened to take that first set from Nole today, and Nole kept coming back, and then once he won that first set, that was it.
1: What well, Diego Schwartzman, of all people, threatened to, to stop Nole in his tracks in the third round. I was very surprised <laughs> at... Uh, at how difficult and out it was, and also the the confidence and the strutting around the court from Diego was great to see. Like he really actually believed that he could pull it off. Mm-hmm. And I believed along with him because of the way he was playing.
0: Let's deal with this final quadrant of the draw before we talk about other stuff on the men's side. Okay. Djokovic plays Dominic Team in his quarterfinal. Dominic Team uh- has looked in pristine form just blowing through the draw on his way to this quarterfinal. Set aside how good he looks in that kit. Like he's wearing that
1: green and white. Like yeah. I know he misses the zebra, business. but like we nobody else does.
0: And you were very negative on his chances of beating Djokovic should it come to pass, as it has. Okay. And I was far less negative about it. And even less negative about it now because I still haven't seen anything from Djokovic at this tournament that strikes fear in me. I still believe that he can probably find it very quickly at some point. But right. also consider that this is probably the first time that team is coming into one of these big matches against the big guys so fresh. True. This- when he played Djokovic in Rome, he was coming off of the biggest win of his career, arguably, definitely his biggest win on clay, beating Nadal, who had been unbeatable up until that point mm. this year. And he had nothing against Djokovic. When it was yeah, it was just the previous day. Too. Yeah, he won one game against Djokovic. And so it was like, well wow, is Novak back or is just Dominic <laughs> totally out of gas? Yeah. And Dominic is back to his fighting best now. So we will see. I that is a overused expression, but that's a popcorn match for me.
1: I agree. And I think that Novak is a little more fragile than we're used to seeing him. I don't think it's gonna be one way traffic like last year's semifinal between the two of them. But like you said, Djokovic can find that magic, I think, pretty easily. After a difficult first set against Ramos Vignolas, he kind of rolled through the rest, right? And it's just that Novak is very, very difficult to beat in five sets. He's one of those players, like one of the rare players, who can find their best, who can like click on another switch when they're down, even when, you know, their opponent is serving for the match, it's like, this
0: is definitely not over. So I think that Dominic has a chance, definitely. He's but... going to have to watch his tactics, because like I said against Nadal after he beat Nadal in Rome, say that were a best of five set match, I'm still not convinced that Dominic wins that match, even two sets to level right. up against Rafa Right. Because while he was playing out of his mind, it's an entirely different proposition to do that for three sets in a row. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe losing a set and then having to find a new strategy, play more defensively, or play with bigger margins in the fourth set. And then maybe lose that and then have to come back again in the fifth. Like It's a, an entirely different mental game playing best of five against these top players. And what I look for him, I don't look for him to blow Djokovic off the court in three sets. What I look for him is to have more confidence in his body being able to hold up to the grind of a five-set match and push Djokovic into errors rather than blow him off the court. If he's able to do that, then he stands a much bigger chance. And Djokovic really needs to watch his
1: on-court behavior because Pepe is going to be so mad. <laughs> he got several code violations in the match against Schwartzman, Racket abuse, I guess making some... Gestures toward the umpire. That was a strange call. Right? Attitude is what. Actitude. <laughs> it was Carlos Ramos, right? I don't. I don't remember who it was. But usually, when Djokovic is yelling in Serbian, you assume he's saying some horrible thing about somebody's mother. And but he he actually wasn't. It was something
0: totally innocuous. You've had this someone translated, translated on okay. Twitter. Yeah, I yeah the umpire was doing the most in that moment. I didn't think it was warranted <laughs> at all.
1: Right, but if. Novak is not careful. He's going to get some extra like mindfulness homework from Pepe or something.
0: Oh my god. Extra hugs. We potentially expect Nadal Djokovic, fine. But for Nadal to get there, he has to play Karenia Busta, who took out Milos Raonic today. In five sets. In improbable fashion. You watch Milos in his post-match press conference, and he looks the player who really thinks that this was a match that got away. He looked dejected. He had, what, 92 winners in the match. He held a break lead in the fifth set. And if I were to say to you, I'm going to give you Milos Raonic with a break lead in the fifth set of a slam, you'd take it like maybe 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Granted, this was clay, his least favorite surface, right. but he still made a quarterfinal. Oh, well, with
1: that serve. With he the serve. You expected to just
0: get him through. And against maybe not an elite player like karen Busta, you don't necessarily expect that kind of hmm. big comeback and milo coughed up the break the one thing i want to say in defense of karen Busta, though is he's not no punk like this is somebody who's made six finals on the atp tour since the start of 2016 he's won three titles four of those finals have come on clay he's an accomplished player a career high of number 18 he's ever improving this is his best surface and going into that match, it wasn't beyond the scope of possibility that he could have won this match, right? It's just more surprising that he was able to do it in the way that he did, and that Milos wasn't able to hold on to that lead.
1: Yeah, for me, I feel like this result is expected. I don't think people had any high hopes for Milos at this tournament. You know, make the fourth round, get your body ready for the grass in hardcore season,
0: he expected to make the quarterfinals. All right. And Milos is a very ambitious dude. Right. He expects to keep getting better. Yes, you could say. Well, he's coming up against Nadal in the quarterfinals. That was going to be curtains. He there was no hope for him winning this tournament. And while that may have been the case, he still wanted that match. Right. And it probably still was one that got away. By the same token, Karen Busta wins it, and he's barely able to get through his post-match interview on court without mm-hmm. breaking into tears. Because it means so much to him.
1: So other things in the men's draw, I think we can speed through. Right, the other surprise, Murray is still kicking around out there. I th- I would say he had a, a like a typical number one seed draw, right? Not crazy difficult, not crazy easy. He'll play Hachanov in the fourth round. He could face Verdasco and Shkori in the quarters. Wawrinka is still around. See, like all top four guys are still there, and we weren't sure that was going to
0: happen. Hachanov is a tough out. He's, uh, he's on the rise. He's playing well. That'll be a, an interesting match to watch mm. for sure. Verdasco. I would expect him to actually beat Nishikori in this match. K looked a bit fragile against Young Chong. Vavrinka mm. mm. Mofis. You expect Vavrinka to win that match, and then Anderson Chilich. I, I I don't really know what more to say about. <laughs> about the that, the top half of the men's draw. Yeah. So like we did for the women's draw, if you were to pick a final, I'm going to say I'd pick Nadal over Vavrenko.
1: Yeah, I would actually pick the same one.
0: I mean, we by no means want to jinx Nadal, but his play in the first four rounds has been just crazy good. Yes. L- losing 20 games through the first four matches. In the third round against Basilashvili... He lost fewer games than Djokovic lost sets. Mm-hmm. Which, which is to say, Nadal won 6-love, six 6-1, six 6-love, six and Djokovic went five sets right. against Schwarzman.
1: That scoreline is the best scoreline Nadal has ever had at the French Open, and indeed at any Grand Slam.
0: And he made Bautista Agut look ah, pedestrian in mm. the scoreline, right. which he's not. And what's been most impressive for me is how aggressive he's been. The, the backhand, the forehand, like, yes, he has a few errors here or there, but he's relentless in his aggression at this French Open. And he doesn't seem like he's thinking too much about where to put the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, his strategy is sound. He's aggressive, coming to net. It's, uh, I don't know, unfortunate in a sense that we've got so much of a strong narrative going that he's unbeatable. Because I feel like that's setting him up for something (laughs) very unfortunate. (laughs) But it's not without some merit. Mm. He's looked that good. So without saying too much more to jinx him, that's what we'll leave you with. With Nadal.
1: I was trying to think of some themes for the first week when I was planning this episode because it seems like a lot of slams you get through the first week and there's kind of, there's a feeling. There's, There's some sort of themes and motifs like running through the first week right and this this slam it's honestly been a lot a lot of examples of good sportsmanship or or really just humanity it it feels like the happy slam almost which you can't always say about the french so well this is
0: being generated from the players not the fans right <laughs> right
1: but there's Almagro doubling down on the court, and it turns out that he tore his meniscus, which is horrible. And I think he knew it was something serious. Mm-hmm. He was sobbing, distra- absolutely distraught. And of course, you know, most opponents would comfort the injured player, but Juan Martín del Potro just went above and beyond.
0: He's I'm, there rubbing his chest, talking to him while he's his on the ground.
1: I mean,. He's telling him to think about his family, about his baby, everything's going to be okay. I mean, like, this. there is a reason this guy is one of the most beloved in tennis. It was above
0: and beyond. Zabayos carries off Goffin's bag after Goffin injures himself in the tarp incident. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is common, but is also just a
0: very human moment. Like, it's the right thing to do. And we haven't spoken much at all about Patrick Vitaville, which was. No! Which is an oversight on our part, mm-hmm. so apologies, but also one of the feel-good stories of the first week. Right? She had a such an impressive first-round victory.
1: She played two really close tie-break sets against Bethany Maddox-Sands, and I think it was just, the, the reception was so overwhelming in support of Petra Kvitova. People were so happy to see her back. She was so happy to be back. I mean, fans were ecstatic. It was
0: just wonderful. She is Miss Congeniality right. on the WTA tour. Right.
1: And she's really like one of the most unambiguously likable
0: characters in tennis on either tour. Her playing that first match was not to be believed. Right. After what she went through, <laughs> you watch like, those highlights. Okay. Okay. And it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> And then we come to find out that she still doesn't have feeling in two of her fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, girl, how are you doing right. this? But
1: I guess her doctor is saying, if you're not in pain, you should keep playing. Mm-hmm. It's fine.
0: So welcome back, Petra. So happy to see you.
1: And in momentous
0: sportsmanship news. <laughs> you're getting ready to the... unleash some <laughs> messy shadiness no, 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 no. on us right now.
1: In the annals of history... Have we ever seen Sarah Arani apologize? So, Kiki Mladenovic lived in Italy. She speaks Italian and she likes to say forza instead of ale or vamos or come on. Arani was getting a little miffed that Mladenovic was speaking her language and she thought she was trying to provoke her. And this will give you flashes, perhaps. Why you say vamos? Why you say, well, why you say vamos? Against Corneille. And, uh you know, Irani was being protective of a language that is not technically her own, right? Correct. She's Italian, but she says vamos, because I guess I'm, what, she trained in Spain? She speaks Spanish, whatever. She thought Cornet was trying to be provocative, which, for the record, she definitely was. And Cornet did the whole innocent look, like, what? I can't believe, what? Mm. What is she talking about? So Irani was pissed off about Forza, and then she posted something later saying you know what i didn't realize that kiki speaks italian and then she commonly uses that word while she's playing so my bad like wow girl like this yeah, it was this an, is
0: the happy slam it was an unqualified apology <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i was like you know what good on you sarah i i feel you
0: kiki and her seven languages Five uh twenty-five, according. 20, yeah. yeah. Kiki and her many languages will come into play. Is it time? It's time to talk about this, right? <laughs> this Mugarutha mladenovic
1: match was something else. And uh where to start? I think is Kiki Mladenovic a villain? And is she the villain that tennis
0: needs? It's, Does tennis need one? <laughs> the ish, the the main point here is that Kiki doesn't give one shit about being the villain if need be right i don't think she is the perpetual v- villain but she will play the role if it calls for it and she's got the chops for it she certainly does
1: somebody uh posted something that courtney Nguyen wrote years ago when she was writing on her 40 deuce blog uh, from 2011 and courtney said that kiki while she was playing laura robson was the most obnoxious tennis player she's ever witnessed. That's what Courtney said at the time mm. about Kiki. This is years before she became, you know, one of the top players of this year. But she, at times, makes Laura Sigamund look like a real nice gal. Mm-hmm, like <laughs> we all know the reputation of the French crowd, and they certainly lived up to it today.
0: It's one of your favorite topics every year. It is.
1: It's not, not only mine. A lot of people. It was popular on tennis Twitter today. Muguruza is not, I would say, the most sympathetic figure in tennis. So it was weird for me to be in a position where I was like, yeah, you know, that sucked. She's not wholly innocent. She screamed at a ball kid, which yeah. is not a good look. And somebody gifed right away so we could all see it. That's bad. That's really bad. But Kiki was cheering Muguruza's errors vociferously. Which is common in tennis today. But when you have an entire stadium behind you doing the same thing, uh, like...
0: And you're the defending champion. I, I get I get that that goes out the window when you're playing the hometown favorite. Right. But Garbina expected a little bit more R.E.S.P.C.T. And yeah.
1: But uh, she can ask Rafael Nadal about that and why she might not be getting it. Ever. <laughs> Because I think uh, Rafa's still waiting for it. I think with Kiki Mladenovic, there's so much to like. and There is a but. But there is so much to like about her game, first of all. About her versatility, her power, her side spin, like I said earlier. I think the fact that she's French and she loves playing in front of her home crowd is exciting. And that she plays with confidence and she seems to relish the pressure.
0: The big moment. That's so appealing. Because how many times have we seen the French players crumble under the French Open spotlight? Mm-hmm. She She's taking charge of her moment. Right. Mogarutha, when she left that court, she wagged her finger at the crowd and they booed her back. <laughs> and you know what? Good for her. And then she went into press and she absolutely lost it emotionally. Yeah. They had to take her out the room. She was out for a minute or two and then came back and came back firing because she was asked about Mladenovic's Forza thing, and she said, well, you know, it doesn't surprise me because doesn't she speak like 25 languages or something? Mm. (laughs) Which, she's allowed to be salty.
1: She is. (laughs) And while Kiki's competitive spirit is exciting, and I think a, a great addition to the women's tennis landscape, she is also messy and rude. Like, there's no getting around that. She... Is maybe not so nice all the time, and that's you don't have to be so nice all
0: the time. But like, this is a thing. You 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 stand one side of the fence with Kiki. You don't get to be oh well, she's not very nice. But then you live for all her shade.
1: <laughs> Are you talking about me? I'm not talking, you about, talk about, you, me I'm not talking about You, but like oh, people okay. have
0: all these opinions about Mladenovich. But then like when the 25 languages comes out, and you're like, damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But, like, when she's dragging Sharapova, it's fine. Right? But like, when, this yeah. is who
0: she is. We know we know who she is now. Like she, it's more palatable when she's winning and making the most of her opportunities in these big moments. Mm-hmm. Is she going to be a sustained top five player? I don't know. So, like, let right. her let her have this moment now. I'm hesitant to, to box her in one way or the other. I'm just going to watch her play out this stretch of great play. Mm-hmm.
1: As far as Muguruza, I think a lot of Williams fans want to pile on, and I have never been the biggest fan of Muguruza, as you probably know, but I'm not going to sit here and criticize her for crying or compare her to Serena or the things that Serena has endured at the French Open, because they brought her to tears too, and with good reason. Like, I'm just... If a player wants to cry because they're upset about losing or how the crowd treated them, I'm not going to criticize them for that. Male or female, whatever. So to say that Serena has faced worse at home, that's true, and that has been well documented on this podcast, but that doesn't really change the fact that Muguruza is allowed to be sad if she wants to be. Like, it's not, you know, it's not the same thing, and that yeah. doesn't make someone less tough, I'd, so I did. I really felt for her in that moment. But the truth of the matter is, this crowd is not going to get better. So part of the challenge of winning the French Open is dealing with it. it it's one of the big an, intangibles of Roland Garros, which Roger Federer has never had to deal with. Because he has been adored in Paris forever. But Rafa has had to deal with it. Serena has won three times. And has not always been welcomed, has been booed. Uh, Sharapova had to allay up your fucking ass to get these people under control. Remember <laughs> that? <laughs> like, so part of winning the French Open is dealing with this crowd, either using it or
0: overcoming it. We're going to finish up with the Margaret Court stuff. We spent a, a good deal of time on it last time, but there's more to say. Because, Just when
1: you thought we said everything,
0: because it was one of the biggest stories of week one, mm-hmm. with damn near everybody being asked about in press.
1: So, this week we had a few more people start piling on. There were some tennis luminaries: John McEnroe, Patrick McEnroe, Brad Gilbert. Which is maybe someone you might not expect, but he is all on board.
0: You'd expect Navratilova to have stuff to say, which he did in an op-ed in an Australian newspaper.
1: But I think that the the tennis community has been very clear in rejecting what's been said. Because after we went to air last week, she did another interview and it was even worse. Yeah. it, It was much worse. She won't stop. It was because this time it moved beyond marriage and it went into how tennis is full of lesbians. And when she was playing, she knows that the lesbians were taking young girls to parties and trying to basically recruit them. And it's a, Which is a very 1960s mm, conception a of...
0: top-down scheme. Right. And that the gay lobby is now trying to bring her down. They're working against her. The U.S. gay lobby is working mm. to bring her down in Australia. Well, that's fine with me.
1: Like, the really offensive part is that she thinks there's a project to change the hearts and minds of children because this is all implying this is an age like an ancient stereotype of gays that were pedophiles and predators on children exactly so she's buying into this and spreading it
0: around like it's true but that we're also predators because we ourselves were preyed upon
1: right right? 92 percent of gay people oh my god
0: were abused which is a stat i put those in air quotes Mm. Because it's complete bollocks. It's a crock of shit. It's totally fabricated to further her agenda. Yeah, and she repeatedly, she continues to repeat that stat in at any chance she gets. And you know what? It's real fucking rude. <laughs> <laughs> so Apart what, from it being untruthful, it's really fucking rude. We each have unleashed several threads on
1: Twitter that you can read for more about why mm-hmm. this is problematic. What we didn't really talk about was the potential boycott or the idea of renaming the
0: court. Yeah, because initially, I guess we didn't really foresee that that would become the big focal point of mm. this whole thing. That the punishment, quote-unquote punishment, that should be meted out for for this is that it's, un, it's now untenable that her name should adorn that arena mm-hmm. at the Australian Open, and at first we were like, "Well, you know, we're not really too concerned about that, right?" It right. was like, and because it felt a bit of a, a distraction from what the real issues were about—how damaging what she was saying to actual gay people, mm. <laughs> you know—that yeah. that was more like a symbolic thing. Like, what will that actually fix, right? Right? If we're going to to gloss over the real fucker at hand, right? And the point that I really wanted to make when it came to the renaming of the Margaret Court arena and why I think it's absolutely the right way to go about it is Margaret Court is not just offering opinions here. People kept pushing back in defense of her saying people are entitled to their opinion. We talked about the whole free, free speech Mm -hmm. issue on the last episode, but what Margaret Court is doing here is moving past just having an opinion and functioning as a politician. Because in Australia, gay marriage is not legal. It's something that's still a hot-button issue and part of the political climate. And so for her to be so vocal, using her platform as a well-known public figure, to be, well, you know, Sarge's marriages between one man and one woman. She is, in effect, making a case for voting against gay marriage
1: right like she has made herself a political actor in in what is a very real and very timely issue in australia
0: and more than just saying as we did that yes you're entitled to your opinion but we're also entitled to our pushback Mm. that's the whole free speech element it's also her disqualifying herself from being able to to claim that well that's just my opinion No, it's more than that. The context in which you're saying this is so much more than just an opinion. Mm -hmm.
1: Also, my opinion that I'm allowed to self-determine and participate in sort of the legal and civil rights that straight people are, that doesn't change her life. Her opinion actually damages and destroys queer people's lives. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking her to do anything different with her day-to-day life. I don't care about that.
0: And she admits that she participates in gay conversion therapy, whatever her version of that is, through her ministry and her church. Mm. And we know how absolutely catastrophic that is to the lives of gay people. So, like, this is not a benign figure, a little granny with some archaic ideas. Right. This is somebody who is making bold, bigoted statements for political purposes and also actively participating in oppressive behavior in her own life and oppressing gay people she's oppressing us verbally mentally and also spiritually mm. with this conversion bullshit so the player response
1: right and this has been a hot topic i think every player who's gone through the press room has been asked about it it's happened at a great time for reporters because they have something to talk about that's uh Pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's helped with a lot of copy flowing mm-hmm. from the
1: fingers, <laughs> right? And it's uh, it's elicited some interesting responses. Curios said right off the bat, I don't agree with her at all.
0: Kokinakis Kokinakis went same.
1: a little bit further. Dominic Team said the same thing.
0: John Melman, I think, did said the mm-hmm. same thing.
1: Sam Sozer has been outspoken about it. She obviously has a vested interest in it, being a gay Australian. She's been asked a lot about, should they boycott? And she, her answer is basically, we'll see, bitch. (laughs) (laughs)
0: We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And she's been asked subsequent to Margaret saying more things Mm. beyond the pale. And she's like, well, the more she talks, the more untenable this becomes.
1: Right. Because Tennis Australia and the Melbourne Park system both came out against it and said, we don't agree with Margaret. We haven't really heard from Yvonne Goulagong but I think she's probably like, I have to sit next to this hole every goddamn year, so yeah. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> right?
0: I've seen a lot of complaints from people about this issue being asked so much in press, mm. which I can see it being an issue in the first couple of days. But it really kind of went on a while. And to be fair, Margaret Court kept talking, so that's part of it. <laughs> but also it felt kind of easy for the journalists yeah. to be generating this story in this way. And I do get the perspective where it's kind of unfair to be putting the players in that position and not talking about their tennis. When it's not like the first couple days, you know, Mm. like, I don't know. It's a a tough one.
1: Yeah, because a lot of players are not reading about this. They may not know anything about it. They're kind of in the zone of being in a major. But there is a way to field the question.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talked about how great... Svetlana's response was on how Hmm. much she came out against Margaret Court. But, like, would it be unfair to her to ask that question given that she's Russian and what the potential blowback could be for her on Russian social media Mm -hmm. when she goes back home to Russia? Like, I don't know. It's a loaded question for quite a few people. Right. And so we shouldn't take it for granted necessarily that every player should come out and denounce Margaret Court, is my point and that mm. everybody who doesn't necessarily pipe up in support of gay people is a bigot, right. per se. Right, because I was
1: critical of Jeannie Bouchard, and a lot of people agreed, and some people pretty vocally disagreed with me, saying, like, oh, you know, she started talking about Jim Parsons' wedding and all this shit, like, she's not a homophobe, and, like, I didn't say she was a homophobe. I said her answer was stupid, which it was. She was asked the question about... I mean, it was a very, like, multi-layered question. Basically, you know, you hear about Margaret. Do you think they should rename the arena? Blah, 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 blah. And
0: she just said, no comment. And then rolled her eyes. That was Which, the kicker, right? right it was right, the right, rolling right. of the eyes at the end. Which, who knows, maybe she was rolling her eyes at the person who asked the question. Maybe she was hmm. rolling her eyes at being asked the question in a setting where she feels like maybe she should be talking about her tennis.
1: The thing is, the reason I was critical is that this woman has so much to say about everything. And And about this, she's like, "Mm,
0: next. And what it boils down to is that it's not in her self-interest to speak
1: about it. That's what it is. So, of course, her number one fucking fan, Jim Parsons, leader of the Genie Army, general, four star, got married and she commented on Instagram. Congratulations or whatever. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You just, like, led a pride parade. Uh, You know? (laughs) Like, big whoop. You're from Canada, and this is 2017. That is not that impressive. We've had gay
0: marriage for over a decade.
1: Uh, Yes, thank you. 2003, in Uh all provinces. Yeah. So, I understand that she might not know about the situation, is not interested in commenting. So, you say, you know what? I really haven't been able to... Do enough reading about what's going on to comment. And that is the perfect answer. Like, that's all it took. And she gave such a graceless response. The other very, you're being set up for easy, easy answers. You could say, I support Casey.
0: You don't even have to touch. We also talked about how easy it is for folks to be an ally with this situation if they're so inclined. It's
1: people you know. Yeah. All you have to do is, I support Casey. That's it. So, not impressed. And Mladenovic <laughs> is another one who said, I don't really want to comment on that. Fine, if you don't want to comment on that, but you want to comment on every goddamn thing under the sun. Except this.
0: And the spotlight rightfully should be more on those players than other players. Yeah, I mean, they people go to them for a quote. If Caroline Garcia said, you know, I'm not really wanting to comment on that right now. It's not going to get the same response as when Kiki does it. Right. It's just not the same. Because Kiki and Genie, in particular have been so outspoken. Yeah.
1: But those are things that affect them personally. Mm-hmm. In their immediate self-interest. Usually when Kiki's asked a question about Sharapova, it's like, would you like the answer in Tagalog? <laughs> Japanese? <laughs> Armenian? Because I can do it. <laughs> Mugurutha said, I don't give a damn what she says. Which <laughs> which I appreciate. Which is a
0: better answer. Yeah. yeah, people are like, well, isn't that what Jeannie said? No, that's not what no. Jeannie said at all. It's actually totally different. Yeah. So that's that on Margaret Court. <laughs> and that's that for our mid-Roland Garros episode, episode 82. We'll be back sometime at the conclusion of the 2017 French Open.
1: Yeah, we'll probably be back about a week from now. Mm-hmm. Unless... Jokovic Beats and doll, right? Then we won't be back? <laughs> that, that's what you were saying.
0: Then the podcast is up for sale. <laughs> How much do you think we should we could get for it? For the business? I don't know. We've given away everything for free. I know. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for listening to number 82. I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at Tennis underscore John. Again, a new Twitter handle, no longer Sportscribe CA, at Tennis underscore John. No H correct
1: and i'm james i'm at elliot jmr two l's two t's and we are the body serve and it's very easy to find us at the body serve on twitter and instagram till next time